In the intraoperative surgery department, there are three sections. The first is unrestricted. So you're already in the surgery department behind locked doors. But in the unrestricted area, there will be pre-op holding area where people come in in their street clothes and family members might sit with the patient until it's time to get ready for surgery. And there are also the area where staff come in and change in locker rooms into their surgical scrubs. So that's the unrestricted area. And then in the semi-restricted, it is staff only. The people will all be wearing surgical scrubs with their hair in caps, and there will be no street clothes and no family back there. And then finally, the restricted area is the surgical suite and the sterile core. So this is kept completely closed for safety and keeping pathogens out. So anybody who goes into these areas is like need to be there. Um, the team is made up of nurses, surgeon, surgeon's assistant. There will be an anesthesia care provider, which could be a nurse anesthetist or an anesthesiologist. And there will be possibly a scrub tech and environmental services is a big part of the team to clean the rooms before and after use. And then there might be a CNA or surgical tech, or I'm not surgical tech, uh, hospital tech to help with positioning the patient and getting them into place for surgery. And then the types of registered nurses you'll have is the pre-op RN and possibly a scrub RN, and definitely a circulator RN, and a PACU RN for the after-surgery time. Next, we'll talk about surgical safety. Okay, next we'll talk about surgical safety. First, um, the communication from the pre-op department should be utilizing SBAR to get a full picture. And the Surgical Care Improvement Project, also shortened to SKIP, is a federal program required for all ORs in our country. And it is to just make sure that we report the measures that are taken to keep patients safe. So things like when the antibiotic was given and whether it was in the time period that is allotted within 30 minutes of the cut, and whether sequential compression devices were used for the patient also called SCDs, and also whether there was a warming blanket, a urinary catheter, and any complications. Any surgical site infections should also be reported to skip, and that would be up to 60 days after the surgery would still be called a surgical site infection. Also, we have the National Patient Safety Goals existing to prevent sentinel events, which are things that should never happen, like surgical procedure on the wrong person, on the wrong surgical site, um, or the wrong procedure on a patient. One thing that the National Patient Safety Goals has enacted would be, or actually there's two things. One is the surgical checklist, and the other is the surgical timeout. And so the surgical timeout is where everyone involved in the surgery has to stop and confirm the patient's identity, what procedure is happening, where the procedure is going to occur. And this is 
done while the patient is awake. And so everybody is on the same page. And that's the surgical timeout. And then the surgical checklist is something that is used to verify that everything important to happen before the surgery begins has been done. So it includes the health history and physical, um, verifying that consent has been signed and is in the chart, that the nursing assessment was completed, um, all the diagnostics that had been ordered are done and the results are available, and that if there are any blood products um, requested or needed, they are ready. And then if any implants are happening in the surgery, that they are located um, in the room. And then any other special equipment that might be used during the surgery. So once that checklist is checked off, then the surgery can begin. The types of anesthesia that will be used in surgical procedures would be moderate to deep. Um, this is the type that's used outside of the OR and in doctor's offices, this is what you might see for a wisdom tooth removal or something like that. Monitored anesthesia care is what's used for diagnostic procedures, for instance, colonoscopies. And then general anesthesia is the type used in operating rooms, which causes skeletal relaxation and protects the patient from stress-induced complications and it controls their biological responses. You also will have local or regional anesthesia, and those are used for when rapid recovery is desired. And that includes um, one of the types is spinal, which is injection of anesthesia into the cerebrospinal fluid. And for instance, epidural for laboring mothers. The next thing we'll look at is crisis events in surgery. And there are two. We're talking about anaphylaxis, the allergic reaction to drugs given during surgery, or possibly instruments or latex. And what you'll watch for is hypotension, tachycardia, bronchospasm, and pulmonary edema. And the second crisis event would be malignant hyperthermia, and this can happen in the OR or in the PACU or possibly days later. It is caused by a primary defect of skeletal muscle metabolism. And the number one trigger of malignant hyperthermia is the, the anesthesia drug succicoline. It is a rare disorder and it has genetic components. So it's very important to ask about family that has had serious adverse complications during surgery. And signs of malignant hyperthermia include muscle rigidities, hypoxia, uh, hemodynamic and cardiac problems, and the rising temperature, obviously. Um, the malignant hyperthermia is treated with a drug called dantrolene, and it's also treated by cooling the patient as quickly as possible with chilled IV fluids, ice packs, and um, there's also a hotline usually posted in the operating room. So the whole team stops the surgery and gets started on stopping this emergency to save the patient's life. And then we will have the last section of the intraoperative period is gerontological um, considerations. So for the older 
surgical patients, we will make sure that we pay attention to their positioning to care for their pressure points and bony prominences. And older people are more susceptible to hypothermia in a colder OR, so we'll make sure that there are warming devices and blankets for them. There might also be some communication issues because elderly patients can be hard of hearing or have trouble seeing. We will look out for a post-op delirium, which is more common in elderly patients, and they also might have an altered response to drugs. So their onset, peak, and metabolism will all be different depending on their kidney function. Elderly patients may also have altered responses to blood and fluid loss because they have um, a lower fluid volume and it can be set off balance much easier. Um, older patients also may have different response to pain and they may have a higher pain tolerance which could cause them not to speak up about their pain until it's intolerable. And that concludes the intraoperative period.